Audioversity, the voice of Reichman University. Let's take, we have two hosts here of the, of the podcast. Let's assume I am, uh, you know, the police takes you into custody, um, suspecting that both of your guys, both of you have, I don't know, uh, copied someone else's podcast. So you're accused of copying right. someone else's podcast. Hana, keep your mouth shut. Exactly. <laughs> now, don't say anything. Now let's add on top of that the fact that the police has zero evidence to that suspicion. Now they put you in separate rooms and you're told the following. I don't want to know what happens or what didn't. I don't care what happened. I just want to ask you, do you admit that the crime occurred? Yes or no? Simple as that. Now, if one of you admits, that's enough to send you to prison, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so if you don't admit, but the other admits, you're still screwed. <laughs> okay. Now, yes. in, addition, in addition, the police tell you the following. If it so happens that you admit, I will give you a year uh, reduction in the, t in the sentence. If the other admits and you don't admit, I will give you one year more. Now, you're in a dilemma what to do. Mm. What is the... Na now, if both of you shut up, then you walk free. Right. Okay, so there's a way for you to walk free. You only need to keep your mouth shut and say, I don't admit to anything. Mm. Will you do it? Actually, serious. Amazing conversations from Israel, all topics considered, with Aaron Porras and Hannah Rifkin. Welcome to the Actually Series podcast, where we cover Israel's most interesting with all topics and the incredible humans behind them considered. We're brought to you in partnership with Audioversity and No Camels, the leading site for Israel Innovation News. And of course, before we get into it, remember to subscribe to the podcast on Audioversity, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, social media, and YouTube at Aaron Porus. Like, comment, and hit the notification bell as well as, as well <laughs> while you're at exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. Hit I'm that not reading from bell. a script, anyone. I'm not. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> as well while you're at it, so you can be sure to hear about any new content we have. I'm Hannah Rifkin. And I am Aaron Porus. And today... We are here with Professor Ran Smolodinsky, expert in game theory and the Dean of the Faculty of Data and Decision Sciences at the Technion University of Technology, which uh, I'm very excited to talk about this because actually we were just talking about how I don't know Jack about game theory. I'm supposed to say that I'm excited to be here. Then I'll say it. Yeah. I'm excited to be here. Not, I'm so happy about that, actually. <laughs> That's so, part of the game, right? It's part of the game. Yeah, you're, play, you're playing along. It is your turn. I'll be, uh, you're I'll be the top You're super enthusiastic hat. at 11 a.m. For some of us, oh, yeah. it's early. For some of us, it's already half the day's gone. I mean, for people listening, it's you know hopefully 6 a.m. just after this is airing. True, so, very true. So good morning, everyone. Ran, thank you so much again for being here, of course. Uh, I know we kind of glazed over this part, but how are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm actually pretty good considering uh, the whole uh, turmoil around us. Uh, if I kind of uh, look into my own uh, personal bubble, then I'm fine. If I open my eyes, sure. open the news, then maybe less so. Sorry. Let's, let's get oh, into that. Perspective. Yeah, let's get into that. I mean, you know, how, like, what, is, what is the turmoil and what is, uh, how does game theory apply? <laughs> Ooh, what is the term I even? Yeah. Probably, probably most people listening to this podcast are very familiar. I mean, if you look at the date the podcast was recorded, I mean, you might be listening to it sometime in 2027 and not right. uh, be aware that there was a turmoil here and now. Right. So maybe Google it up. We are in uh, it May. Is, it uh, is May 30th. May 30th, uh, <laughs> 2023. Yep. 
Yeah, so I will not, you know, I will not explain what the turmoil is all about because there's a lot sure. to explain. But uh, interestingly enough, uh, some uh, if 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 you put on, you know, the, your game theoretic uh, look at things, then I think uh, kind of you discover some interesting insights about what is going on because at the end of the day, there's a clash between. Um, approaches, attitudes, uh, uh, myth, uh, uh, ways of thinking, ways of uh, of ruling uh, a society, and and this clash is uh, one can discuss, you know, the ideologies uh, uh, on the two different aspects. But a game for a game theorist, one is more interested in who will actually. Uh, maybe take over between two the, these two ideologies. Uh, which one has more to lose um, if something happens? Which one has more to gain if something else happens? And if you think about it from this perspective, then suddenly, you know, kind of a game theoretic uh, intuition uh, kicks in, and that's uh, that may be, uh, you know, some of my so, insights are different than others. So uh, that to me begs the question of, of how do you know like because we could talk about a lot of a lot of things from that perspective in terms of who has more to lose but i think that that's an arguable point in and of itself i i completely agree so maybe one and also and also there's there's the who is more willing to do something about it given the situation as it currently stands because some things have to kind of get worse before one side kicks into high gear so, so true. And when when one does applies game theory to an actual setting, which I must admit is not my day to day doing as a university professor. I try to look at the models to understand the general cops. I don't look at specific settings such as the one we do now and make a living out of researching them. So here I am out on a limb trying to apply my the general approach to a specific setting. The challenges in applying this specific setting is trying to identify the actual forces in work and map them into the model and then use the model to you know, get some insight about what is going on um, and, and so forth. Now, you are correct in, uh, um, in asking the question, how do we know who stands to lose from right. a given situation? That is exactly the challenge of mapping the real-life situation into the model. Now, here comes my subjective thinking about things. So that's not where my scientific hat uh, kicks in, but rather my subjective thinking. Um, let me give you a simple example uh, to demonstrate yeah. what is going on. So in fact, the first one to actually throw in game theory into this turmoil and to use game theory as a means of, of making a point uh, was Prime Minister Netanyahu. Uh, when did he do that? He, at some point, he uh, uh, um, uh, reminded us of the famous story about King Solomon and the baby. So ah, there's this famous the story. story about King Solomon and the baby who comes, who where two mothers approach him, and each of them argues that a certain baby is hers, and therefore he should give her the baby. They're fighting over Cut the it. baby. So King Solomon said, yeah, cut, cut, cut it the in baby half. into two yeah. and let each is, mother enjoy half the baby. Which is the ultimate dad joke. Uh, yeah, which is just, just, going just cut it in half. <laughs> Fine. Okay, so Dad Solomon <laughs> suggested cut it in half, but, but according to this uh, myth, he was slightly more uh, um, clever than your typical dad in the dad joke. Yeah. Because then one of the moms said, in that case, I don't want the baby, let the other one have it. To which Solomon replied, well, that shows me 
that indeed you are the true mother. You're willing to give up the baby just to, uh, to make sure that he lives. Yeah. Right. Now, well, maybe, maybe that's the other lady didn't so have a chance to answer. May, maybe, maybe, I don't know. The, she but just the answered myth, first. <laughs> possibly so, but we'll take the myth as it yes. is and not, yes. uh, yeah. Uh, and Netanyahu's point was, of course, you know, these, uh, the people who are opposing the reform, they're the ones who are willing to cut the state into two, to rip off the state. And therefore, it shows that they don't really care about the state. And we, sh we those who uh, uh, are for the reform, um, have the right to the baby, which is to the state. Now, wow! Again, though, that, isn't that isn't that a, a it's yeah, a very cynical yeah. kind of accusation as well, though? Because no, but it's a really huge way to turn the story. It's a, I mean, it's an interesting way to use right. the story. Yeah. As okay, so out, the the reason I'm raising, I don't want to give criticism uh, right. to to yeah. the way the story, and I don't want to throw in my personal perspective on right. these things. I'm just suggesting yeah. it was the first time actually game theory was thrown into the public debate, into the public sphere. Now, why do I call this game theory? Because game theory is all about interactions among decision makers, typically rational decision makers. We can talk about that maybe down, down the road. Or here. irrational <laughs> decision making. And what are the out possible outcomes? What are the, the uh, um, uh, sensible, uh, reasonable outcomes from such interaction? That's what the, you know, the, the, uh, the discipline of game theory, that's what it does. And King Solomon suggested a game. Of course, I mean, the use of a game here is, is somewhat uh, a cruel way of, of uh, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not, you know, the first word that we would think of uh, for the game, you know, for the interaction right. between the two mothers. But in the scientific language, King Solomon suggested a game to the women here. Mm -hmm. And in that game, through that game, he actually discovered who the true mother was. And then there's an, uh, the analogy to this, um, to this huge dispute and to this huge divide in the Israeli society. Now, if I have to look at that as a game theorist, I'm, I, I would like to say that I think there was a slight abuse of the notion of, of the specific story. Why? Because in the, the specific story, the true mother prefers uh, the baby not to be cut into two over him living with the other mom. But assume one of the mothers believes that the baby grows up with the other mother, he will be, let's take something very extreme just to make the point, this is Hitler. Right. So she knows that if he grows up with the other mother, the other mother will actually... Um, um, educate yeah. him to be, you know, uh, um, the enemy of, of humanity. In that case, maybe the, right, the, the correct mother actually prefers um, the first outcome, the tragic outcome of cutting the baby into two than having the baby be someone else. It's right. not the same baby that grows with her. And I think that's what is actually going on here. Right. So, according to Netanyahu, the, the uh, anti-reform movement is not the true mother because it was willing to rip the baby apart. Mm. I would like to argue that maybe this is a misuse of the story. Because maybe the actual mother is the anti-reform movement. And in fact, they yeah, they don't want to the see baby growing up else. under the auspices of the reform is going to be a terrible baby and we'd rather cut the thing here and now mm. so i mean and i would even take it to a slightly more 
um, central position just to say that the painting of somebody who wants to who opposes a given reform or even is for a given reform is not necessarily like I kind of reject the ideology of painting anyone on either side of this argument as anti-democratic or anti-Israel because in both cases if I'm if I'm assuming that everyone is a rational actor in both cases the idea is to make the country better they just disagree on how to do that right and so in both cases they're actually pro-Israel and so it's from their perspectives right from their perspectives and so i actually it's from that reason that i kind of reject this characterization of bringing in the you know the the solomon story because you're painting people who you know and that's why that's why the protesters really you're painting have people brought against a, each other right. that's how division and, happens and in this case the protesters are using the israeli flag as their symbol precisely to prevent that characterization so I, I I don't feel comfortable. I mean, yeah, I'm here as a game. I'm here as a game You know my personal <laughs> yeah, views on things, and and if my any comment I would give to that would probably be uh, related to my personal views and yeah. not to uh, um, uh, the scientific approach of things. Now, if I do want to comment in the scientific context yes. on that, one thing we as scientists really appreciate really really appreciate is um, consistent stories. It doesn't matter what your theory is. We don't feel good when the theory is inconsistent, mm. when it has internal uh, um, um, conflicts. Mm-hmm. Now, I agree that both sides, from the outset, do it from, I would say, patriotic reasoning. The, right. I mean, the whole approach on both sides is very, very patriotic. Right. And therefore, your comment about why would they, you know, they're not anti-Israeli. But one thing which bugs me with the pro-reform movement is the fact that it, it sounds to me somewhat inconsistent theory. If, I, if the most important thing is my own society and the outcome of which is I am uh, calling half of the society traitors, then somehow I get some, uh, um, something very inconsistent. Mm-hmm. So I am not for my society because I have just excluded you, traitor, (laughs) I don't know what is the percentage, from that society. So that's somewhat an inconsistent approach, right? Mm -hmm. I cannot call, I cannot say on, you know, to to my highest value is the whole society. And in order to actually uh, uh, reach that uh, goal and, and to promote that value, I'm going out against, 10%, 20%, 10%, 20%, and I'm excluding them from my society. That sounds to me inconsistent. Mm. And that's kind of my argument here, which is, has a scientific sure. background to it. So I, I, I want to jump back now and, and ask something a little bit more basic. Because, again, it, it's, the more I learn about game theory, the, the less I know about game theory. <laughs> Explain to me, like I'm a five-year-old, what, it, what game theory is. So game theory is um, um, a discipline born by and large by mathematicians who wanted to use mathematical modeling in order to understand the social sciences. And when I mean social sciences, this is interaction among individuals, among societies. um, For economists, it's among firms. Uh, For a political scientist, it's among states. Um, we mentioned just before the e- beginning of the podcast that 
for some of you, game theory comes up in the context of war games, mm-hmm. um, and so on. So in in uh, in the uh, early twenties, if memory serves me right, um, a famous, very famous mathematician uh, by the name von Neumann joined forces with an economist called Morgenstern. And they actually wrote an initial theory, which they referred to, I don't know if they use the term game theory, sure. but they published this in a book, and the name of the book was Games and Economic Behavior. Hmm. And th- um, the, the, the most immediate ap- application they had in mind was not social sciences at large, like but economics. Yeah. Economics, you know, competition sure. among firms. Um, so what is game theory all about? Game theory is uh, the analysis, the mathematical analysis of a setting where you have um, a few or many uh, individual decision makers and each of them is concerned um, about the outcome of the interaction and the outcome of the interaction is decided jointly. Namely, each of them has to make some decision but only the interaction of the decision uh, um, is, is what dictates the outcome. Let me give you an example. Um, consider a situation which we call a duopoly in economics. What is a duopoly? A setting where only two firms sell a good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's like nearly a monopoly. But nearly a monopoly. And there, well, and it also sounds like that in this situation, in a duopoly, they have a motivation to maintain the duopoly because as long as there's no competition they can basically it's insider trading almost uh, yes not insider trading, but, yes but, but, uh, but fixing price fixing you know between them there's a point to that but i would like to actually focus on the situation where they're not concerned about uh, external competition okay and they're only concerned uh, one is concerned about the decision of the other so each monop each of these two firms wants to decide for example how much to produce of a given good now we know, you know, by and large, the general wisdom in economics is the less you, the less uh, there is of a good, the less there is supply, mm-hmm. the prices are higher. Prices are higher means profit is higher, but if you have the profit per item is higher, but right. if you produce more, then you might sell more. Mm-hmm. Now, if they had known the price as a function of the quantity, they could have computed the optimal. Uh, quantity to produce. What is the problem here? The problem is they don't know how much the competitor will produce. Right. Okay? And their competitor, when he thinks about how much to produce, he also has to account for what the initial firm does and so on and so forth. So you have a very complex interaction between two decision makers, but the outcome, the profit of each of the decision maker depends not only on what his Right. choice is, what his quantity is, but also on the quantity chosen by the other. That's kind of the very, very simple situation. And the question is, what can we expect to happen in these settings? Right. Mm. So what does Apple That's and Microsoft, game theory. What, what do Apple and Microsoft do in this situation? For example, if Apple <laughs> and Microsoft, yes, if you want to think of them as a duopoly, say for... Oh, uh, I do. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um so that's one example. Maybe the most famous example, it's easier for the, for, for the listeners maybe to kind of follow, is the example uh, which is, is often used in the, kind of the, in the, in the public sphere, uh, which is called the prisoner's dilemma. 
Okay. Have you heard about the prisoner's dilemma? No. no. Okay. Hit so me. the prisoner's dilemma is is the following situation. Let's take we have two hosts here of the of the podcast. Let's assume I am uh, you know the police takes you into custody, um, suspecting that both of your guys both of you have I don't know uh, copied someone else's podcast. So you're accused of copying right. someone else's podcast. Hannah, keep your mouth shut. Exactly. <laughs> now, Don't say anything. Now, let's add on top of that the fact that the police has zero evidence to that suspicion. Someone okay. told them that you might have done it, but they don't, have, they don't have any recording. They don't have anything. Now, they put you in separate rooms, and you're interrogated simultaneously by two policemen. Mm-hmm. And you're told the following. I don't want to know what happens or what didn't. I don't care what happened. I just want to ask you, do you admit that the crime occurred? Yes or no? Simple as that. Now, if one of you admits, that's enough to send you to prison, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so if you don't admit, but the other admits, you're still screwed. <laughs> okay? Now, yes. in Hana. addition, in addition, the police tell you the following. If it so happens that you admit, I will give you a year a reduction in the t- in the sentence okay if you admit yeah. uh, uh, okay now if you if the other admits and you don't admit i will give you one year more so okay. you're typically goes to say four years in prison but if the other admits and you don't you'll get an extra year he gets only three years oh right. wow yeah okay mm-hmm. now you're in a dilemma what to do mm. what is the na- now but if both of you shut up then you walk free right Okay, so there's a way for you to walk free. You only need to keep your mouth shut and say, I don't admit to anything. Mm-hmm. Will you do it? I, I would think that statistically, both parties will admit. It's, so, so you're arguing something about the statistics. I would like yeah. to argue that there's good, uh, um, there's good um, incentives. The, the, the incentives in these settings are structured the, so that they both will admit. They're, now, they're manipulative. If, right. Yeah, because it's showing you like something good that you can gain from it. Sure, it's, they're not talking about if you don't admit it. If no, no, they're saying if you don't, and the other one doesn't admit, then you walk free. Now, if the other one, uh, um, okay, so, so let's let's take the hypothetical thing uh, situation where you think you suspect the other one will admit. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you suspect mm-hmm. the other one to, by the way, let me throw in another thing. If you admit on your own. Uh, uh, let me correct uh, uh, what I said before. If you admit on your own, you get a token of gratitude from the police. The other one goes to jail. Okay? Oh, and then you walk free. And then you walk free, and you also get maybe a token of gratitude. Not only do you walk free, you get also, mm. you know, uh, a sign saying, you know, you helped, uh, you helped solve the crime. Oh, Hana, you're going down. Mm-hmm. I want that certificate. Exactly. So, <laughs> now... I don't even care about but the jail But it's a lie. Time. It's for sure a it's lie. It's definitely a lie. Uh, now, <laughs> suppose you also believe it, because, you know, police in most countries are very credible. Um, <laughs> so here's here here's the breakdown of the story. If the uh, if you assume hypothetically that the other one admits, then it is better for you to admit as well because you're going to jail anyway. You might as well enjoy a year off, right? One year less. So you better admit. But you don't know if the other one. He might not admit. Yeah. If he doesn't admit and you don't admit, you just walk free. But if he doesn't admit and you do admit. He goes to jail. Too bad. But you walk away with a prize. Mm-hmm. So there's an option for you to both walk away, but what is the outcome? Both of you prefer admitting to non-admitting. So not, you know, no one walks away. Both of you go to jail. 
right? Because if you both admit you do not, you are not the person who helped the police solve the crime. It's the other one always, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you both go to jail. So the prisoner's dilemma is a very easy case to analyze. And we see sometimes it leads to very non-trivial, surprising situation. There is an option for you to walk away. Perhaps you didn't even do the crime. But the incentives are structured so both of you admit and actually go to jail. Now, the analogy in real life to this situation is, is, uh, comes up in, in many, many situations. Let the me give you one example. Prison industrial complex. Let me give you a non, yeah. Uh, let me take you away from prison, okay? Let me give you a, another example uh, where this thing came up in my, in, you know, in my own personal life. I lived for many years in an apartment building where um, um, the fee structure for the water was the following. If I use cold water, then I pay for it directly. Say a shekel to a square cube, or let's just say for a number just for the sake of this story. But if I use the hot water, hot water is heated jointly by everyone. We had a joint uh, facility to heat the hot water. Hot water costs 10 shekels per mm -hmm. liter, uh, but everyone has to pay. Because you cannot assign the hot water to any individual. It's, the, mm. it's, you know, it's a joint thing. Now, there are 20 people in the building. Now, I come in the morning and I want just to wash my hands. Now, I'm in dilemma. Should I use cold water or hot water? Of course, I should use cold water. Why would I pay 10 shekels just to wash my hands with warm water? But the 10 shekels is split but, between uh, 20 people. And so how much do I pay? Well, I pay only half a shekel for the cold water. But you're going to end up paying way more. So everyone the ends up exactly. the Exactly. Yeah. So it is rational for me to use hot water even when I need cold water because it's cheaper. But the outcome is that I pay 10 times more for my water because of the interaction of incentives. So did you conspire with your neighbors to just shut off the boilers? Uh, <laughs> I moved to a house. <laughs> <laughs> that solves it. <laughs> I would feel guilty like every time taking a shower. Like how long I'm in there or like I need to use hot water. I have to take steaming hot showers. Oh, I can't do cold showers. Killing us, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, speaking of uh, conspiring, mm. um, I have a really creative question for you. Mm. If you were an evil mastermind, how would you use game theory to take over the world? Well, I think that, you know, I think I just gave the answer, right? I, I, you see, there's a way to structure things. There's always a way to structure things such that people behave in a way they think makes sense for them. Um, and maybe in a world where they were on their own. So if there's only one prisoner, if there's only one person to, he would not have admitted. If there was only one person in the building, he would not have used the hot water. Mm. But you can always generate the interaction among the players such that their own personal incentives will drive them to something which might be bad for them and therefore may be good for me because you said I'm an evil mastermind. What is an evil mastermind? <laughs> it's one who benefits from someone else's misery, right? That is true. Um, so in a way, the previous answer, I think, is, is a good answer to this kind of question. I like it. Mm. <laughs> How would you use it? Like, what's, what's the... Um What's the uh, uh, the positive way to use it in, say, a, a negotiation or a or a business pricing? Okay, so let me give you one way, which actually many governments actually tap into game theorists. Yeah. Um, 
uh, and also many commercial firms. Um, and that's the issue of assigning rights to a given resources, to a given resource to, say, a firm. For, think, for example, in a hypothetical situation where Israel has, uh, well, this is not hypothetical, Israel has um, um, law, you know, what we call, I think it's called economic territories, I think, or economic uh, oceanic territories or something else. So uh, like in the Mediterranean is, yeah, where, yeah, we can fish, we can take oil. I mean, this is our rights. So, and, and we suspect there's gas or oil in the ground. And there are many firms who would actually like to um, um, have the rights to drill. Now, what as the government I would like to do, um, you can say the government is cynical. He, it would like to give the rights to the person who would like to pay the most for them. Right. The, 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 the objective of the government is to extract as, 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 as much money as possible. I would argue that typically the government is not a profit, you know, is not uh, a profit-maximizing enterprise. But the government wants to do what is good for the public. And what is good for the public is not making money on the drilling rights. What is good for the public is making sure that the most efficient firm, the one which is most knowledgeable of extracting gas from the ocean, gets the rights. Mm -hmm. For sure. And suppose you have two such firms, just for the sake of the, of, of the example, and both of them come to the government and say, you know, give me the rights. I'm an expert on these things. Now, the government of course, is not an expert on anything. He just has to make decision. And is a dilemma. Who should you assign the rights to? And here comes the game theorist and suggests the following bizarre auction to the government. It says the following. Um, run an auction and ask them to bid for the rights. Okay? Hmm. But instead of... And assign the auction the rights to the higher bidder. Okay. Now, here comes the twist in the plot. Instead of asking him to pay what he bid for, ask him to pay what the other bid for. Ask the winner to pay the bid of the loser. Meaning oh. to pay on top of their own bid? Or no, to, no, or, no. Okay. In, in, so if I, if I bid 10, she bids 9, I'll still pay 9. You'll win the rights, and you'll I'll get the rights, and you'll pay 9. Okay. Interesting. Why? This is bizarre, right? Yes. Bid. Okay, now let's... Well, because it drives up... They they drive each other up. Not true. Not true. Not true. The analysis, and we can go through the analysis, but I think it might be a bit uh, a bit too much for a kind of uh, uh, no, uh, uh, podcast. <laughs> um, let me get to the bottom line, and then if you want to go through the actual analysis, we can we can try yeah. that. The bottom line is if you actually analyze the incentive structure of this game, I just suggested a game, right? The the outcome for each of the bidder depends on what the other bids. Mm -hmm. Right, he would like to know what the other bid before he makes his own decision. Right, um, if you analyze the incentives of the of the gate of the players in this game, you will find out that the best thing to do is to bid the value, the correct value that you estimate you can extract from the ground. For example, you mentioned 10 before. If you think you can actually get 10 out of the ground, you know what you're doing. You think you can get 10, and Hannah can only get 9 because she's not as proficient as you are. It turns out that the, the correct thing for you is to say 10, independently from what Hannah says. Mm -hmm. And Hannah should say 9. Now, why is that? Well, we, this is the analysis I'm skipping here. But as an outcome, what is the result of this? The result of this is the person who actually knows how to do this job better will actually get 
uh, the rights to the land. It is not about trusting you, you know, you telling me, trust me, you know, the Israeli way, smoch alai, I know how to do things good enough. No, you put your money where your mouth is. Right. In fact, if you had gone to the uh, natural auction, what would be the natural thing to, one would think of is that the same thing, but you don't pay the loser's bid, you pay your own bid. It turns out that what I said before, you should bid the correct amount is not true anymore. That is not true. So by having having this little twist in the auction where you, the winner, pays the loser's bid, you suddenly align the interests of the bidders to that of the government, and they know, each of you, what you think you can extract. And mm-hmm. they will give it to one of the highest. Now, the fact that they make money out of it is okay. That's, that's also fine. I'm not against it. Right. But that was not the point of the exercise. The point of the exercise was to, to go into your brain and find out what you think you can make out of these drilling rights. Mm-hmm. And that's what the government did successfully in this, in this exercise. Well, so this is, th- it, it sounds like it's also a little dangerous because... That's part of the game. It's a risk. It's, mm-hmm. it's definitely a risk, but I'm thinking, in, you know, if I'm sticking with this analogy as well of the, of the extraction companies, they might, they might exaggerate their own abilities. Okay, so you yeah. are, you are uh, you uh, pulling me far. into the analysis. Okay, yes. so let's do the analysis. Yes. Let's <laughs> assume, I did it, Hannah. So we're <laughs> hypothetically for this analysis assuming that Aaron can actually extract $10 out of his, this, uh, the drilling rights and Hannah can only extract $9. Sure. And I would like to know that. Now, why would Aaron say $10? Why would he actually disclose the true number, not say 11 or 7 or 5? Okay, so we fix Hannah at nine. What happens now is that you get the rights, right? Because right. you say 10. And what is your profit? Well, you're going to get generate $10 out of the rights. You're going to pay $9. You've generated a profit of one. Right. Can you generate more profit by bidding, assuming you know what Hannah said, something else? So let's assume you say 11 instead of 10. Right. What would be? What would happen if you had said eleven? We are going to the hypothetical situation. Then I need. I need to hit eleven. Otherwise, I look bad. Yeah. Well, you look bad. That's not part of the issue. What would be your right. profit? Two. Would you win? Not as much. No, no, no. You. you oh, mo- more. We did I not. Ch- no, no. You still can extract ten, but you said eleven. Oh, so it's a minus we have not one. Cha- we have not changed what you're able so to. So now extract. I'm at a loss of one. You said eleven. Will you win or not? Well, you will win because she said nine. Yeah. Right. Right. How much will you pay? Nine. Nine. The same nine. How much will you profit? Two. No. The one. One. The one. The you one. Because oh. I'm still only capable of ten, of ten, even though I bet a little. Oh, okay. Right? Got it. You got see it? it? Got still it. one. Okay. What happens if you said a hundred? I'm still only making the one. Exactly. Okay. So you <laughs> right. can by increasing your bid, you cannot do better. By the way, what would have happened if you said nine point two? No, so I'm saying what happens if what wait, happens wait, if wait, I let, if let me, I think me. I can do ten truly, uh-huh. but I can only do eight. Oh, if you're an idiot, that's your problem. Then don't take the bid. I mean, <laughs> well, so we are the government and every and all the people and everybody lose out as well. Typically, we think of oil firms as people as as you know. Remember the analogy, the the the, the real setting was that of an oil firm who has gone through geological surveys and sure. has experience. So we assume they know what is going on. Obviously, there are often mistakes. I mean, people often right. mistake mistakes, but you know, um, 
at the outset, this is what they believe they can do, and this is what drives their bid. But now, now let, I, I want to continue the, yeah. the, the American analysis because you asked for it. Yes. <laughs> let's, go so for the nine point, <laughs> sorry, let's go for the nine points. Sorry, Let's go for the nine points. Assume you can actually extract 10, but you said 9.1. Anyway, what is your you, profit? You undersold yourself, so yes. you're going to do better. Well, you right? still win. How much do you pay? Nine. 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 How much will you make? One. The same one. Right. Oh. Okay. <laughs> now, here comes the interesting. What happens if you say eight? If I say eight, I lose the bid. You lose. How much do you make out of it? Nothing. Zero. Okay. So, going up or down, it's there's no way you can make a profit. Okay? Uh. Now, now... I want to argue that it is sometimes even risky. Why? Now, let's take Hannah's setting, situation, not yours. Hannah lost. Could she have done better? Possibly. Well, suppose she decreased her bid. Remember, Hannah can actually extract nine and said nine. Now, let's ask what would happen if she said eight. While I still say ten? You still say ten. I well, then I make lost. a bigger profit. You you will make it, but what happens? Hannah doesn't care about your profit. She cares about her right, profit. Exactly. Does Hannah's profit change by saying eight? No, I mean, she no. still made nothing. She still made nothing. So by by decreasing, she, nothing changed. What if she said eleven? Then I would have won, and you would have lost. Oh, you would well, have he maybe won would the have... rights, right? Yeah. But, but you but would have, have played how much? Ten. Ten and extract nine. Nine. So you'd have lost a dollar on this. So not only do you not gain, but you lose. So this analysis shows us that by bidding truthfully, you maximize, your, no matter what the other one says, your profit. And therefore, the government does this trick by consulting game theorists. If you want to know what they're thinking, this is the way to do it. Oh the bidding, it's the so auction, tricky. the payments so are a side issue. They're just there to get you to put your money where your mouth is. So um, how does this affect the way that game theorists raise their children? Research, sorry? <laughs> I feel that or as, or as a professor, how does it, how does it change? How, yeah. I, I'm so interested to know. So uh, let me give <laughs> yeah, you uh, a story from my childhood. Each other. <laughs> <laughs> let me give you a story from my childhood. In some sense, yes. So, so it really depends on how you, you know, what you think <laughs> drives your, the kids, right? Yeah. So let me oh, give you God. a story from my childhood which I, when I look back as an adult, was a game that we played at home. Um, so every Friday, uh, we had this ceremonial meal. We'd have this uh, barbecue chicken, and we'd share a bottle of uh, uh, something uh, maybe uh, foreign listeners would know as root beer. Here in Israel, we refer to it as malt or as bira shchora. That mm -hmm. was kind of uh, that was the you know the we typically did not we're not allowed to drink uh, uh, soft drinks, but you know Friday was. Uh, and there was the, the bottle was, I don't know, 70 centiliters or something, half a liter, whatever, and we'd share it. And, and the question was, how should we share it among us? And my father would always have us play the following game. He would pour slowly the beer into a glass, and whoever said stop would get what is in the glass. Mm. Okay, now that, that annoyed see, all the other siblings. <laughs> <laughs> now, no, no, anyone could jump in and say stop at any point of time. Oh, okay, okay. Now here, here you're in a dilemma. <laughs> if you think there is less than a quarter in the glass, if you think there's less than a quarter in the glass, then there's yeah, no point of yeah. saying stop. 
But if you think there's more than a quarter in the glass, maybe you want to take you it and say, me, stop yeah. right now. So our incentives, our children, are to think, when do we think the quarter, uh, the, the, you know, the point of a quarter was reached, and then say, stop. Yeah. So it was a way to get us to be fair, to, to you know, share it fairly yeah. without having to evaluate what is fair. So each That's one of true. us, uh, so you know, you want to do a story about children and game theory, here's a story <laughs> about children and game theory. It's what I've I learned love is, that, actually. Yeah, what I'm learning is that your father is a genius totally. sadist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's so tricky. He's so tricky. <laughs> no, no, I, you know, one, one, in one way you can say, you know, this is kind of uh, manipulating the children, but otherwise is promoting their, you know, uh, you know, uh, their way of thinking, because suddenly it's you're, you're in a dilemma, and dilemmas always kind of uh, uh, kids are always. Like they're always yeah. so like exact on no you didn't break the cookie exactly in exactly. half like <laughs> right so so by the way here's a simple exercise uh, um, um, if you want to split a cookie between two children I mean you can never split it exactly into half there's no way the parent can get it right just no way whatsoever any culture any place on earth mm. that has cookies. Um, <laughs> So the answer, the, the, the game theoretic approach would say, if one of, you, one of you can split the cookie, let the other one choose. Now think about the incentives here. If you get to split the cookie, what do you want to do? Make it as equal as possible. As equal as possible. Why? Because you know if it's not equal, the other one is going to choose the bigger half. Right. Yes. So... If you did not split it equally, that's your. It's not your mother split it and gave you the smaller part, right? So the incentives are here for the person who splits to split it equally, and 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 because he knows the other will choose the bigger part if he doesn't. It's honestly a test of character too, if you think about it, because yeah. then all of a sudden you get a a curveball in there where the, someone's like, you know what, I'll take the smaller piece. It's okay. Hmm. <laughs> By the way, there is uh, the Prisoner's Dilemma, which we mentioned before, was uh, the basis of uh, uh, a game show in, in, in the UK at some point. Oh, was it? Oh, gosh. And I think a lot of, pe a lot of often people fail uh, for what, you know, in the same vein that the, the prisoners have failed. But I think there's a very interesting clip yeah. uh, where one of the players uh, manipulates the other and the game show host into actually having them choose the cooperative outcome in which they say walk away and right. not the non-cooperative outcome. <laughs> uh, I'll have right. to look for it and I I'm can send it to you. It's, it's yeah. actually cool. a cute thing. Oh, I really, yeah. If you send that to me, I'll, I'll make sure to link it. Um, <laughs> I want to, you know, because I, I, you know, we talk a lot about innovation as well and innovative practices and technology on this show as well. I want to know, uh, are people and psychologically minded or knowledgeable people still better at producing some of these games because ultimately you're playing these games with people right because it you know if if you have nothing but computers playing the game then it's i don't know maybe maybe you'll get a similar outcome but like but if say for in for example in the uh, prisoner's dilemma you won't get that outcome Right, because in the prisoner's dilemma, if you were playing the prisoner's dilemma with computers, the computer would understand and it might choose to do nothing. Well, right? you're, and, and you're walking into into. I mean, what so, does it mean the computer understands? So, uh, well, I mean, the computer, that's not the computer might play the statistics in some mathematical way. It might create a formula to understand that it is in its best interest not to say anything. And then, if both computers, but that's not true. We just 
I just I thought I convinced you that it's well, in their best me, interest. No, you convinced me that people would come to that conclusion. I convinced you that any decision, any selfish agent would come to that conclusion, whether that's uh, it's a computer, a state, a firm, or a person. Mm-hmm. It's just so, a matter of selfish. So that brings me to, my, to the heart of my question. Are AI and computer generative <laughs> models better than people and psychologists and game theorists say at coming up with some of these games? Um, so we have to remember that behind all these systems, there's uh, um, someone who like has designer. set, you know, is, you know, has designed the architecture and the goals of the software. Uh, so if you want to understand what is going on, we have to go back to the designer. You might say that the designer has some some uh, goals in mind, and he wasn't able to implement them because he's not a good programmer, he's not a good artificial intelligence researcher, whatever. Uh, but that's not what you're asking about. I'm arguing that um, often it is the case that if you analyze what goes on among computers, that you want to go back to the humans who've designed them. This brings me to a huge and flourishing field um, called algorithmic game theory, um, which is probably the one of the highest growing research uh, areas within computer sciences in the last maybe 10 or 15 years. Um, is this this is like the future of game theory right here that we're getting into? Or? I'm not sure it's the future of game theory here, but uh, um, around, I'd say, 15, maybe 20 years ago, um, people who were educated as computer scientists and who care about computer systems realized that incentives play an important role in designing a computerized system. And, and why this came about? Because of the Internet. The internet is a setting where a lot of computers interact with each other. There's a lot of interaction going on on the computers. Uh, but this interaction is, is actually uh, um, um, let me say uh, um, I'm, I'm trying to find the, the correct word is, is actually uh, instructed by the people who design who have a right. goal in mind. So if you take um, eBay Right, eBay is a computerized system for assigning, you know, for auctions or for assigning goods. Uh, what is the price that eBay shows us, and when we buy a good? Well, it depends on many things, but there is a goal to that price. The goal is to maximize the long-term profit of eBay. Mm-hmm. So we know that when someone designed the eBay algorithms, which show you a given price for a product and me possibly a different given price. That algorithm is very sophisticated. It takes into account what you bought before and what you, mm. you know, maybe what your friends bought before mm. and maybe your profile on, on some social media and whatever. But it has a goal in mind. It wants to maximize the profit. So at the, if you strip that all away, there are incentives going on there for game theory. On top of that, there's a layer of a computational challenge. Um, yeah. So I'm, 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 what I'm trying to argue is that it's very hard for me to think as, as computers, as independent uh, creatures who are born out of the blue. Um, right. At the end of the day, there was a design and he had something in mind when he designed them. So I want to switch gears a little bit just because I know that we're running out of time. But, you know, I want to get this in. There's so much that we could talk about. I mean, um, game theory and traffic gems. The eye alone <laughs> is so congested. Oh, God. It's so, <laughs> so let me tell you uh, um, a very good question. Um, and in fact, independent of the development of game theory, there was uh, um, 
a famous traffic engineer, I don't know if that's the, the right term to actually to use in English, but someone who actually researches, researches uh, traffic networks and try to understand when and why congestions uh, form, uh, by the name of Brace. Um, and he found out, and he came up with this theoretical example where he shows the following. And again, I will not get into the mathematical analysis. He says, let me show you um, um, a traffic network which has a certain congestion. And for that traffic network, let me show you something very strange. If I open up a new road, suppose I add to the traffic network a new road. I just add a road. I don't congested. It will actually increase the congestion. <laughs> and it will increase the congestion because the drivers in the cars are self-motivated drivers. But their interaction gets worse when they have more options. Which is a very strange thing. Now, the interesting thing is that that example materialized in New York. I think the story goes back to the 70s or maybe the 80s. There was a traffic jam and the city and the municipality decided, I think, to open up uh, 57th Street. It was, it was a one-way street and they decided to make it a two-way street because of the, they thought it would really, you know, uh, ease some of the congestion on, on some of the avenues going east, uh, north, south in New York. And the next day, the congestion was worse. Oh, my God! And everyone said, my God, this is exactly what Brace showed us, which is known today as the Brace Paradox. So, so what's game the solution? Theory, well, it's, uh, he, the, the point he was one, trying to make is that... One dirt road. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> it. Or, or maybe two. No, the point of the <laughs> argument was that just throwing money at it by adding more roads, you might actually do damage. And, 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 and if, but if you throw in game theoretic analysis, there are ways to open up new roads which will just improve. Not any way uh, will solve the system. Some mm -hmm. ways will actually uh, uh, increase the traffic, uh, the, the not the traffic load, but the congestion itself. And so therefore you have to introduce game theoretic considerations also when mm -hmm. you bring. It's so interesting because during COVID, a, lo a lot more people decided to start driving cars, buying cars rather than taking public transport. Yeah. Which is all fine and good, but like it does cause more congestion on the on roads that already were congested, congested. So, um, to my memory, the government, I guess, was encouraging people to start taking trains again, um, which I guess might be a good nudge. Um, you mean, know, if you nice take if trains, it then well. it. W yeah. I guess that's the but so the but the issue is, is that the execution. There was no execution because the trains were under construction. So what yeah. are you really incentivizing people so to like, do? Take, take the bus that doesn't come. So then, yeah. What do you I, think about I, that? I, I'm, I'm, some, I'm somewhat mute on that question because, again, we're talking about execution. So this, yeah. is, the, I, it's, this is an obvious What's, statement. Right? I mean, it's obvious uh, that everyone would benefit. Again, the prisoner's dilemma type of thinking. Mm -hmm. Why do I drive a car? I drive a car because if everyone drives a bus then I get faster to work if I drive a car. Right. But if everyone drives a car, then the bus is also stuck in traffic jam, so I better use my car because I can at least you know, listen to my own music and have my own temperature right. and open the window when I want. But if we all drive our cars, then you get to these terrible traffic jams. So here we are back to the initial example of my water, right? Using yeah. my car is enjoying my hot water and using the bus yeah. is, 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 is the cold water, but we're all paying more for that. Um, and if the government doesn't account for these things, then the government misses, you know, the, the analysis of how society behaves. 
Um, and of course, when you incentivize a, sing, uh, a, cert, uh, a single person, it might you might uh, um, uh, you should anticipate a very different outcome than you incentivize the whole society. And we game theorists come in and say something which is a natural incentive for a, a given person might be a bad incentive for the whole population. Remember the road example that we just mentioned. If only one person can enjoy that road, then of course he's better off. He would be better off. But I'm offering a shortcut to everyone at once. And the result is not only is no one better off, everyone is worse off. So when you offer incentives to the whole society, it's very different than offering to anyone individually because there's a lot going on in the interaction among them. Which is why maybe maybe opening those lanes that are for like public transportation or people with more than two people in their car would be a smarter idea. Um, so here, you know, this is, uh, uh, remember I started off saying that the challenge I don't feel comfortable with is, is translating my reality specific yeah. cases into the models. Is it enough? Are the traffic jams terrible enough to get people on carpools? Well, if, if the Minister of Transportation believes that is the case and he can run a survey on that, then maybe he should insist on having these carpool lanes. True, they're not used as intensively as the other lanes, therefore they're more open, but this is exactly the reason why people should move to them. Mm. Now, if he believes people in Israel would not respond to that incentive and really need terrible traffic jams for that to happen, then maybe, maybe that's the incorrect incentive. Maybe that's just a bad use of a valuable resource, and we should open it up to the whole traffic. So again, one has to understand you know, how the Israeli driver thinks about things, and that's something I have to say. I'm not an expert. Before we end, I, there are a couple... A little, a few things that I did want to hit on, and one of them is, is as I understand it, there's a concept of equilibrium uh, in game theory. And it, I don't know if we touched on that or not. Could you maybe uh, address what that is? So uh, remember, game theory is the analysis of the outcome of uh, uh, multiple decision makers, mm -hmm. and the basic uh, way to approach this was uh, an approach uh, uh, proposed by John Nash. Mm -hmm. uh, John Nass is a famous uh, mathematician who eventually also won the Nobel Prize in Economics and also a very prestigious prize, the Abel Prize in, in Mathematics. Uh, a very uh, colorful story of life. Um, and um, um, there was a huge Hollywood movie, uh, uh, Beautiful Mind, made about his life maybe oh, okay, 15 sure. years yeah. ago. Uh, with Russell Crowe. Yeah, with Great Russell Crowe. So, so I always joke that he's the only scientist I know who won the Abel Prize, the Nobel Prize, and the Oscar. Um, it's like the EGOT mm, for scientists. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and um, so John Nash proposed a scheme called what we call today the Nash equilibrium. He just said the word equilibrium. Right. What we call today the Nash equilibrium says the outcome of that, of that uh, interaction has to be in an equilibrium which you can think about from the, you know, kind of a physical equilibrium in the following sense. Each one, the only outcome that makes sense is one where, where if one knows what the others did, he would not change his mind. Mm. So you say, suppose you know what the others do. Would you change your mind? And the answer is no for all of the players. That is an equilibrium. And he argued that if something is not an equilibrium, then it must be the case that someone else uh, that one of the players would change his mind, and therefore right. that cannot be sustained. 
And that's something, you know, the topic, the, the center, you know, the epicenter of what we do in game theory is this it's notion of uh, trying to understand the analyze this Nash equilibrium. All right. That is amazing. Uh, what a I, beautiful conversation. About yeah, it. it was, I, it really helped me understand it better. It, uh, I, now I'm a bit concerned. Maybe <laughs> I didn't do my job correctly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it well, confuse us enough. Confused, uh, well, I, wanna, I, I mean, I guess my, my absolute, absolute last question is, do you just crush people in Monopoly? Ooh, yes. Like when you play Monopoly or Risk or other board games, do you just like I, destroy I them? I play real dollars and I crush them. <laughs> <laughs> Even better answer. All right. I love that. That answer. is a wrap. Rans Morodinsky, Professor Rans Morodinsky from the Technion. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Uh, I'm Aaron Porras. And for more actually serious topics, remember again to like, follow, and subscribe to the podcast on Audioversity, YouTube, uh, Spotify, Google, everywhere, uh, and YouTube at Aaron Porras. All major podcast platforms, social media, et cetera, as I mentioned. We love you. Do we? We. I mean, only if you share this podcast with your friends. Then we love you. To, then we should love we you. name out people specifically? Uh, yeah, it'll be in the behind the scenes. We're gonna we're gonna start <laughs> naming people <laughs> for for sharing and not sharing. All right, Ron, thank you again so much. For My pleasure. Thank you. Actually, serious, amazing conversations from Israel. All topics considered, with Aaron Porras and Hannah Rifkin. Our shows and podcasts available online on our website and on all podcast platforms. Search Audioversity. Clubhouse.